What's up, guys? It's your boy Paul, aka Mr. What the Footy, your favourite podcast host, and an early Christmas present from me. So, you lot are getting two episodes today because you guys have been good to me this year. This is the last episode of season three of the What the Footy podcast and the last episode of the year. Guys, I've been overwhelmed by the support this year. I'm just a disgruntled Arsenal fan from East London that loves podcasts and wanted to show fans around the world what life behind the scenes is like in football. I've sat down with agents, directors, players, managers, sports scientists, and many more. And guys, who better to sign out with than Laurie Pinto? Laurie, like me, is a disgruntled Arsenal fan, but he's also a football financier and helps prospective owners to buy football clubs and current owners to sell them. We joked about an Arsenal takeover, which club he would buy if we had a few spare 500 million pounds in the bank, the Americanization of English football and why Laurie predicts that a third of Premier League clubs will have new owners by next season. Guys, this is the What The Footy podcast. This is takeovers and the Americanization of English football. For the final time this season and the final time this year, I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. So you know what to do. Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now supporting Arsenal. They're powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes, giving you insight into football, business, management and operations. Today, I'm joined by a very, very special guest. He's a football financier. He's the man that helps owners to buy clubs and also sell clubs as well. He's Laurie Pinto. Laurie, welcome to the What The Footy podcast. Yeah, what a build up. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) We usually start the show with what the footy you lying for, which is our sort of version of two truths, one lie, but I've got so many things to ask you, so um, we're just going to scrap that and just go straight into it. Um, I sort of obviously read an article that you uh, put out quite a while back to do with you're sort of predicting that a third of Premier League clubs are going to end up having new owners um, yeah. come next season. J- just sort of talk me about your sort of thinking around that and what's the main sort of drivers towards that? Yeah, sure thing, Paul. And by the way, firstly, thanks for having me on your show, mate. It's great. Very good of you. Um, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Much respect, mate. Much respect. I'm going to borrow the hat at some stage, you're right. And I, and I, and I, <laughs> having a bad hair day, that's why. And I've got to check, is that a goonish scarf I see before me? No, no. Yeah, it is indeed. Okay. It is, yeah. Yeah. I know it's the way it's off-centre, right? Um, yeah, so the, 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 good, the thing about sport at the moment is we've had a reset button. And it's been called COVID. Yeah. Right? Football historically has actually been quite a predictable income business. You had television money mm. and you had match day revenue. You had these fans, your tickets, 
uh, your food and beverage at the ground, and you have merchandising and sponsorship, right? That's how yeah. football makes income, right? Yeah, there's prize money for your appearances and performance, but those things have generally been pretty predictable. COVID hits, uh, suddenly you've got no match day revenue, right? Yeah. In fact, you've got match day costs because you still have the stewards there and, and all that stuff, but you've got no tickets being sold. You've got no income, okay? So that's bad. And it's hit actually a lot of clubs in different ways. If you think, you know, the Arsenal 63,000 tickets not being sold, 63,000 Diet Cokes not being drunk, right? Um, it's bad for the big clubs, but actually in a lot of respects, it's worse also for the smaller clubs because they don't have the TV revenue coming in either, okay? It's not just the UK, it's everywhere's got the same problem. So you've been hit by COVID, but what do you do to increase your revenue? You've still got the same costs. You've still got to pay the players. You've still got to pay your staff. You've got the same costs, and your costs are mainly your players' salaries, okay? Uh, yeah. And very few players have taken big, big pay cuts, right? But some have taken 10% cuts or 20%, but they've not been slashed, okay? So you've got less revenue, and you've got kind of the same costs, right? Less revenue, same costs. Yeah. That's why football's changed. Now, the reason I think there's going to be a lot of change of ownerships, historically, football clubs have been owned by rich persons, rich professionals, right? And they do it because it's a hobby and they like it and it's worked out nicely for them. Some not so nicely, but most pretty nice. Yeah. Right? And what you've seen in America is the rise of the professional sports investor. So like the Fenway Group mm. at Liverpool, professional investor group. Cronky Sports at Arsenal, professional sports investor, okay? Yeah. And I believe that because of COVID and because also there's been the rise of the MLS. I don't know if you follow American football. Yeah, yeah. Sucker, yeah. sucker. Um, you know, sucker, yeah. yeah right. Um, but also American sport generally has gone up dramatically in value. MLS is now a big industry and the values of the MLS franchises have gone up a lot in value so when they look across at Europe, they think it's cheap, right? It just do, okay? And therefore, that's two factors. Weakness in UK, strength for the American professional sports investor, strength for the MLS franchise, and that is what's driving the investment, all right? So yeah. it's not just one thing. It's two or three things at the same time. I think also there was a wave of Chinese owners that came in to buy clubs, and those Chinese owners have had enough now, realised it's quite hard business, and are going back to China. Okay? Yeah. So, so it's those factors all combining at the same time um, have caused this. The great news is we're all going to have a vaccine. We're all going to be fine, right? But when you look at running a running football club, it's actually really complicated. You've got, mm. you've got costs. You've got players, right? You've got highly tuned thoroughbred resources, You've got food and beverage. You've got a stadium to manage. You're cutting deals all around the world. Football is global now, right? It's a global business. Mm. Premier League has done an incredible job of marketing the Premier League around the world. You go anywhere in the world, people are talking about the Premier League, right? It's also diversifying. It's now going into other stuff, right? Merchandising is really important. Branding is very important. Esports yeah. e is coming up, right? 
But it's a lot of skills you need to be able to look after all these players, management, staff, global sponsorship deals, and be able to deal in Latin America, Africa, Asia, China, yeah. 30 different bits of China. It's complicated, right? And therefore yeah. you need a very complicated skill base uh, and to, to help manage that. And Americans believe they're better at managing that process. So I stick by what I'm saying. I think there's still a good six deals left to be done by the end of the season. Hoping that out of those six, I'm hoping that Arsenal are going to be one of those <laughs> six that are going to be there. I can't because big big changes are needed for sure, but it's unlikely that we're going to be part of the six anyway. I can't comment on that one, mate. But uh, <laughs> fingers crossed, right? I'll, I'll do that one for nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> but but what I would say is, you know, when you look at football, the game's changed. I think one of the mm. things that's trended and changed in in the Premier League, in my opinion, I'll be interested in your take, the role of the manager has become much more important, right? Taking mm. the value of the club. Look at the value Klopp has created for Liverpool. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And look at, imagine if you were Man United now, you look at Liverpool and you'd say, do you know what? We'd swap managers in a heartbeat. Yeah. Imagine how Man United would be with Klopp as their manager. Look at what, yeah. I can't even say. Look at what Mourinho has done in Spurs. You yeah, know. it pains me to say. I yeah. would... And do you know what it is? I was, I was, I was saying this with, with quite people on the podcast, like Kelwin, and also I had Stuart King. He works for Nolan Partners oh, on yeah. there as well. And if if you really look at football in general, it's almost a thing whereby the importance of an integrated strategy. And if you look at a club like Liverpool, whether it's Klopp, whether it's Michael Edwards, whether it's FSG. They're all singing from, from the same hymn sheet and sort of pulling in the same direction. I think that's a very, very important thing when owners get involved uh, in clubs. And Stuart also said on, on that podcast that the best owners that they work with are the ones that don't know what they don't know. And they're happy to almost delegate that and share that load with, uh, with other people. I don't think it's just owners. I think it's life, right? You've got to know what you don't know. Yeah. As a gooner myself, uh, I will admit it on this programme, but don't tell anyone. Mm. It pains me to see us buying Chelsea rejects. Yeah. I never thought I'd say that. You know, if you're the young players coming through at Arsenal and you're seeing these these Chelsea 30-year-olds join in that can't make the Chelsea first team, it, it, it doesn't send a good message, right, to the young players yeah. coming up. It doesn't, as a fan, it doesn't send me a good message. I never thought I'd say to see it. And I, don't get me wrong, I think, I think they're good players, right? They are good players. But as, mm. as an Arsenal fan, I expect better, right? Yeah. Or I expect the young guys to be given more chance. And they are good. We've got a great crop of young players coming up. And it must be quite disheartening for them to see these 30-year-olds coming in at the end of their career from Chelsea. I, I just find it very yeah. hard to deal with that from a messaging and strategic and planning point of view. Yeah. You know, I find that hard. And uh, I'm not sure what it really means. And to me, the, the strategy doesn't look joined up. That's what I'm saying. I, it doesn't. Chelsea, yeah. amazing job on this loans program that they built up, built out with Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, going off to get games, coming back into the team. Great job, right? Amazing. Yeah. Spurs, you know, Gareth Bale is not a Mourinho player. Just mm. not, but he's taken the pressure off Kane and Son. You can see it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it breaks my heart, but you can see it's right, okay? And uh, 
you know, they've kind of taken our man to it. It's 1-0 to the Spurs, you know. It's kind of horrible. Yeah. Right? Nah. Enough about the Spurs because it's, 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 really, it's really a pain in me. But I wanted to ask you, just following on from what you mentioned about American investors coming in and sort of professionalising the space. Yeah. Where do you sort of sit on the scale of profit maximisation versus win maximisation? I'm a, I'm a winner maximisation guy. You win games, you become yeah. profitable. You, you know, Spurs mm. got to the European Cup final with earning an extra £150 million pounds to get into that gap. Yeah. There's not much you can do that's going to make more profit than that. So winning first, profit yeah. second, right? Absolutely no doubt about it, right? You've got to keep the fans on side. You've got to send your message clearly that you're going to win games, right? Don't enter yeah. football to asset strip it because it doesn't work. Football's a growth story. You've got to have a lot of strategies now as an owner. You've got to have a strategy without question. Well, I think your strategy depends what club you are. If you're a big six club, yeah. you're actually doing a bit different business to everybody else. If you're mm. outside the big six, you've got one job, stay in the Premier League. Right? Don't, yeah, don't get relegated, yeah. stay in the Premier League. If you're in the championship, you've got one job, get out of the championship, right? Yes, it's an absolute rat race down there, isn't it? It's Look, tough. Championship's the toughest space, I think, football-wise yeah. and economic-wise. Football is much more mm. physical. You know, yeah. you see tackle. You know, you see tackles in a championship. There'll be red cards in a in a Premier League. Right? Yeah. You go down to League One, and it's like a war, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's why you've got to admire teams like Wolves coming up and then going right up yeah. the top because the change of style is impressive. Leeds look like mm. you know this year. Leeds is, I think you probably even more so Leeds because Wolves spent quite a lot when they were in the right. championship and I think the, the the financial sustainability within within the championship is an absolute mess. Like you've got clubs for their wages to revenue ratio of about hundred and five percent. So yeah. there's definitely some deep, deep rooted issues within that within that league because they're doing whatever they can from a sort of win maximization perspective to get out of the championship to get into the Premier League and, and have all this sort of TV money coming through. When you look at when you look at, uh, at the where you are, that defines your strategy. Where do you want to be yeah. defines your strategy. And when you look at which managers generate economic value, if we start talking about economic value, right, the best performing mm. manager by a factor over the last 10 years has been Klopp. You gave him a million dollars, you would get a fantastic return if you would have done over the last 10 years. The worst performing yeah. manager. Come on, see who it is. Economically. <sighs> Economically, um, probably have to be between Mourinho, probably Mourinho, maybe the amount he spent. No, he's, second, he's second worst. So maybe Pep Guardiola. Bingo! Maybe. You're good. Yeah. He, yeah. The money he spent, he should have won not just every competition. He should have won every game. Yeah. Every single game. But he's working yeah. on a different economic basis to everybody else. Okay. Mm. He just is. So, you know, when you look around, the, the, the second best performing manager was probably David Wagner at Huddersfield. He got them yeah. promoted and then kept them up for a year with no budget. That was incredible. Mm. All right. Then they disappeared, obviously. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but it was quite, not just the first season, it was the second season of keeping them up that was really something else. But you can analyse who does the best creation of economic value. And the manager or the director of football now is a key thing in a football strategy. 
and you look around, clubs yeah. are debating whether they should even have academies. Yeah. Right? Because does it work if you're, you know, like Brentford got rid of their academy. Brent, yeah. Mm. Right? They're doing okay. It almost got promoted. They're doing great. But they got rid of their academy because they found that every time they got a good player at the age of 14, 15, 16, Chelsea would step in or Spurs or Arsenal. Kid's head and his family's head would be turned and they'd go. Yeah. And so academies are getting difficult. Sunderland, great history as a club, terrible academy. It's gone for a very tough time. Mm. Derby, Crystal Palace apparently has got a fantastic academy at the moment. Just fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to figure out your strategy, right? If your strategy is to yeah. build players and then sell them on, you're a trading club, that's fine. Southampton has done a fantastic business for the last 10 years as a trading club, right? Really mm. brilliant, right? You can't knock it. It's been, it's been an amazing generator of great players. You know, Mane, Walcott, etc., uh, etc. Et you know, half of the Liverpool yeah, team, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Liverpool feeder club. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and some clubs have not bothered with that. You know, like Burnley, for example, barely like have quite a low net spend. Very low. Able to, 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 to sort of survive more or less in the, the Premier League. You know, West Brom have adopted a very defensive strategy this year. You know, they, they mm. can see it. They've hardly dipped in the transfer market. They're back in the players that got them promoted with a couple of additions. They've had a real go at it. Leeds almost changed their entire team. Mm. You know, um, it, it, people do what makes them happy, right? I don't, there is no right answer. History, history is told by the winners, right? Um, yeah. You know, but that, but that's what that's what I've been thinking about a lot. And I think there's nothing wrong with twinning, twinning your club with other clubs around around the world, doing a modified city football group thing. How much is Son worth to Tottenham? <sighs> As a career and from a sort of marketing and yeah yes from a marketing and branding perspective massive massive chowdhury at yeah. leicester as an indian player coming through first one mm. is, are they marketing correctly is he wanting to be marketed correctly great role model you know mm. uh, a lot of the african players as you know aspire to do this with greater or lesser success to be honest you know some it works well yeah. some it doesn't and the pressure i think on some players is quite intense right um, What's your thoughts on on, on Newcastle? Because obviously, I think just yeah. going back a bit, you mentioned obviously if you're in a big six, you're almost fighting a different battle to yeah. to the rest of the league. But I've always I've always almost seen Newcastle as a bit of a sleeping giant, one club city, so much potential, and the fact that no one's been able to really come in there and and sort of take that club. Like I look at Liverpool, for example, in the, in the sort of way that FSG acquired them and the sort of value that they're at now, almost three times the amount that, that they were acquired for. What's stopping Newcastle from, from really kicking on? It's funny. If you were going to buy one club, right? Yeah. And you had all the money in the world. I'd buy Newcastle. Buy Newcastle. Turn it into a machine. Yeah, yeah. 15 years ago, Newcastle was worth more than Spurs and was worth the same yeah. as Barcelona. Don't know if you remember when well, Newcastle had that brown ale advert, Newkey Brown, right? That was... Yeah, selling yeah. football shirt on earth that year. Mm. Uh, the business side of Newcastle Football Club has been not exploited. It's not been developed. It's not a global brand, but it's got an amazing catchment area. It's got an amazing branding opportunity. 
And to me, it looks like the cheapest club in the Premier League. Okay. Yeah. The problem is, or the challenge is, there's obviously been the Saudi situation, which has dragged on and on and on and on and on. Uh, yeah. You've got an owner who is very, very smart business guy. I think a lot of people underestimate him from a business point of view. He doesn't talk to the press very much. His public image is very reserved. Uh, but he's a sharp business guy who probably never thought he would own it this long. Uh, mm. And it's probably the few, one of two clubs that could catch the big six. Yeah, I agree. The other one actually is Leeds. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're another club on the rise as well. Yeah, because the catchment area, the following, the history, the stadium, the culture, the things that you could fix to make it bigger are fixable yeah. and actually really fixable. I think, uh, you know, I think they've had a, a, a very, it must be a very frustrating time being a Geordie fan. Um, <laughs> the only thing they've got going in their favour is Sunderland have been awful. Right, <laughs> relegation, <laughs> you know, just makes you feel better, right? Um, but I, I, I believe that Newcastle is the cheapest club in the Premier League uh, on mm. quite a few metrics, and with the right management team and the right vision, in a few years' time, could be challenging the big six in terms of. Do, do you still believe that it's, it's still quite undervalued? Because I think obviously Mike Ashley bought it for about one hundred and thirty-four million pounds. I think that the previous sort of price that that was being bid was um, was about three hundred million pounds. You still think that's still still reasonable, yeah. or, or how do you almost value a, a club reasonably? Yeah, I do. I think when you look at how you value yeah. clubs, right, it's like how do you value anything, right? How do you value your house, yeah. Paul? Right? You look at your house, you say, yeah. look at all the stuff I've put in it. It's great, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you look at houses <laughs> next door, right? And you say, look at that one. Mm. It might look like the same yeah. as mine, but mine's worth more. Hard yeah. thing is, football clubs are rare assets, right? What do you compare yeah. Newcastle? What is really Newcastle compared to, right? Okay. Once you've narrowed that down, you can look at it on an absolute basis. This is what I think it's worth on seventy-five thousand different metrics and valuations and earnings and revenues and blah, blah blah blah. And then I can look at it on a relative basis. What's it worth relative to Liverpool or Man United or Chelsea or Leicester, mm. Fulham, or Crystal Palace or? West Bromwich Albion, and you'll come up with your own answer. Okay. What I do know is he's, yeah. run a, he's run it as a really, really solid business. He's run it as a business. So it looks pretty clean from the outside. He has a very professional business management unit in there that has kept it very tight. Probably too tight for the fans' likings, right? Yeah. He has spent money this summer, though, to be fair. He has. He has. Uh, you yeah. know, um, Some good players as well, Callum Wilson. Yeah, yeah. He bought he bought the the two strikers, didn't he? And I think that's taken the pressure off. I thought the heart. It's very interesting when you look at strikers, right? You know, do you mm. feel do you feel people sell the ones that ain't working out quick enough? You know, it's tricky. Mm. It's tricky. You're yeah. sitting there and you've got Ozil earning a lot of money, not playing, right? Yeah. It's very difficult to manage those situations, right? And I think yeah. What would you have done in that situation? Sorry, just like obviously being an Arsenal fan, someone who works behind the scenes. What would you have done in that situation? Because 
even before we started losing all these all these games, just sorry to go up on a tangent, before we started losing all these games, I said that the moment Arsenal failed to score, failed to create chances, failed to win games, it's going to be a PR crisis for Arsenal about Mesut Ozil, Mesut Ozil. And what I said was, I don't get why they didn't just deal with it in a similar way to how Barcelona dealt with Luis Suarez. Here's £5 million, £7 million. Thank you for your service. See you later. What would you have done in that in that sort of situation if, if it was sort of you or you advising? Personally, personally, I would have done exactly as you suggest. You can't have a yeah. senior figure in the club, the dressing room, being a negative or disruptive influence, right? Mm. It is like a virus. It can destroy a club, right? And that element of man management, it breaks my heart to say, Mourinho is really, really good at. Okay? Mm. It is. I, it, he came across spectacularly well on that um, Amazon TV series, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. His man management skills, second to none. Has Arteta won the dressing room and won the senior guys at Arsenal? Don't know. Uh, don't know. Jury's out. You kick out again, yeah, 19 for making one mistake, but you don't take the senior players in hand. Doesn't, don't know. That's how it looks to me a little bit from the outside. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, was Ganduzi the future? Possibly. Is Ozil the future? Yeah. No. No. So yeah. get what you can for him and move on. You made a mistake. You know, you're not going to turn him around. You know, it happens. Okay? It's life. Cut your mistakes quickly. Move on. Mm. And do you know what is? I think just adding on to what you were saying, I think sort of the main reason why the main reason why she's created this podcast is because being an Arsenal fan and quite a disgruntled one, my first job at 16 was actually working at Arsenal. You're and what did you do? Yeah, you I used to work in the armory. I used to work in the armory. The yeah, in, in the uh, in the Arsenal store. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally the best. I, I literally met everyone under the sun: Charlie, George, Tony Adams, really? Nigel Winterburn. I sold him a shirt. Lee Dixon, like loads of people. Oh, fantastic. Cool, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Perez, yeah, loads of people, yeah. Well, you know, the reason I became a gooner is I sat next to Frank McClintock's son at school. Oh, wow. Neil. Yeah. And uh, we, we went to school quite near Spurs in Edmonton. Uh, there was mm. a little long, little cluster of us that became gooners. <laughs> yeah. And so it's quite funny. But yeah, you know, so that must have been great fun. Um, no, I loved it. I loved it. And, and it's crazy because I could see how Arsenal is a business because obviously every week they'd announce how much the store turned over, how much all the stores collectively turned over. Obviously, I'm not going to share that, but it's a thing whereby when you see how how much of a thriving business Arsenal is in comparison to what's happening on the pitch, it's just completely worlds apart. And I wanted to almost ask you as well, like, how important do you believe it is for when owners come in to buy a football club or where they're trying to buy a football club communicating that sort of long-term strategy and vision to the fans because I don't believe that... I think some teams have done that really well. Like I had Tom Gorringe, who's commercial director at Bristol Rovers. They publicly did an open letter to all of their fans talking about the long-term strategy and communicating that. When Liverpool, when FSG came in, they, they had a, a four-point plan and they pretty much achieved it all. What's your thoughts on owners really communicating that that sort of vision um, as they're looking to acquire a club? I think it's really important. Okay, I think yeah. the days when you can just be an absent owner in the shadows is very difficult for fans to cope with. Okay, mm. um, and 
communication, you know it, it's, there's a real skill to it. There's a bit of art, there's a bit of timing. You're a natural communicator. You enjoy it, you do it naturally. Yeah. For a lot of rich people, it doesn't come naturally, right? Yeah. They, but they should have experienced people around them to take care of that. But a lot of them don't want to be public figures. They like the sport, they love football, but they don't communicate. And yet they're still well-liked by the fans. You know, Roman is very well-liked at Chelsea. Yeah. Because he's... But he has good operators around him, though. Amazing. Like Marina and... Yeah, amazing yeah. team around him. And he delivers, right? The fans yeah. respect that. So communication sometimes is also what you don't say as much as what you do. <laughs> yeah. And what I think is tough is when you see clubs where you can see there's obviously some change going on. And because they're big, global, multinational businesses, you need strong management. That is not the same as even five years ago, it's changed. Arsenal is a massive global business with many, many things going on in it, you know, and that is very different to running a football team, right? It's not a football business anymore. It's a business with football in the middle, right? And it's actually a brand, right? But therefore, you should be hiring people that have brand management experience. You should be hiring people from Apple. You should be hiring people from Chanel or Burberry. It's a luxury brand. Yeah, yeah. yeah mates, right? It's got more in common with them than it's got with Burnley. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But we take it for granted that some people will mould into that role, okay? As a manager, you've mm. got to speak now to the fans and to the players. The players are earning much more than you are, right? You've got to speak to the kids. You've got to speak to the families of the kids. You, your role is global. You're a global ambassador. You, you should speak languages. You can't just speak English, right? You've got mm -hmm. to do stuff, right? You've got to be up with, you know, big data and analytics, right? You can't just say, I fancy that left back. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's buy him then. That worked. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, and that's what I think, you know, and, and and it's pretty apparent the successful teams are blending all those factors. It's UK yeah. and Europe, you know, Klopp's the perfect example of it. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Frank Lampard turns out uh, when there's when there's a little downturn in in the results. Um, you know, and Bielsa has an amazing reputation, but doesn't speak a word of English. Not a single word. Yeah. Right? Mm. But yeah, everybody... Yeah. He even announced his whole team the other day. Oh, no. <laughs> like, fr like three days before the game, he just announced his whole team in Spanish. And the guy was looking next to him, the translator, thinking, <laughs> what are you doing, mate? But, you know, he's got amazing respects. Yeah, which so is, much, yeah. Shows communication often is in the body language and the way you say as much mm. as what you say it's like when you hear great joke tellers and you know the joke but the way they yeah. deliver it is the key right Mourinho says very mm. stuff but his delivery is spectacular it's effective it's multi-layered it's brilliant it's just brilliant right and it, it, it hurts me to watch it Pep has a very similar but different style Arteta's yeah. building his style Frank's at uh, Chelsea's very emotional style. A lot of the English managers are very stand-up, pointy, shouty uh, kind of style. Um, and that's fine, right? But, yeah. you know, the business manager has to be above all that, right? 
man. Yeah, no, I agree with you because um, I, I was even speaking to a guy and he was saying that he works within fan engagement and he said that if you look at the way a lot of clubs do fan engagement, they do fan engagement and dress it up as crisis management. <laughs> and it's almost a case whereby um, the, the communication is so important. And, and, and it, I'll go back to what Kelvin mentioned and what other people have mentioned here, that integrated strategy of the manager, the fans, the owner, the sporting director, all singing in the same hymn sheet, all putting in the same direction, which is, which is vital. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And he's right. You've got to be a team. You've got to be a... You cannot have just the business side of it and the sport side. You're all in it together, right? And it shouldn't be a burden, right? And actually, the players have yeah. deep responsibilities. I tend to find that the foreign players take that very seriously in the UK. A lot of the English players mm. are still a little bit, go a little bit wild every now and then, right? Uh, or rogue. Yeah. Um, and that's not just a lack of maturity. I think it's just a cultural thing. I think a lot of overseas players know their career is relatively short. They know they are the ambassador for the club. They know they're earning ridiculous money and they take it very mm. seriously, right? Whereas I think a lot of the English players feel a little bit more entitled to it. And then they go off on holiday and go a bit nuts, right? Yeah. You know, or go out during lockdowns or whatever. You know, you, you very rarely see foreign players doing that. I can't even remember mm. seeing foreign players doing that. You know, they just wouldn't. Yeah. And there's something deeper about that, but, you know, it's it's just a shame. And I think, especially at these times when, you know, we're going to come out of COVID, a lot of people will have lost everything, okay? Businesses are, are, are in trouble. Unemployment's very, very high. High street's in big trouble. People want to be entertained, right? Yeah. I want to be entertained. I want something to take my mind off the misery, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but... But, but it's true, right? We see sport as a subsector of entertainment. If you've ever been to see football in China or America or anything like that? No, no, I haven't, like, no. It's just, you know, in America, everything's a show. You can go to an ice... I, don't, I went to an ice hockey game about a year ago. I know, but I don't even know the rules of ice hockey, but it was a great show. You have no idea what's really going on, but it was a great show. Yeah. I went to an MLS... I went to a game in, a football game in Vegas... And the standard football was terrible, but they brought llamas out onto the pitch. You know, they had stuff going oh on all over the place. It was a show, right? Yeah. You know, go to yeah. China, uh, Guangzhou, it, the stadium is rocking. Every single player is going to... And you're thinking, what are they singing? You kind of recognise the song. And they're thinking, yeah. oh, when the Saints go marching in, but in Mandarin. So they're singing the English yeah. songs, but in Chinese words. I kind of recognise that, but that's kind of bizarre. And, and that's the beautiful game we play and watch and laugh, right? Yeah. It unifies people and stuff. I just fear that a lot of the new owners or the owners that are in there now are under huge pressure, huge pressure to perform, to engage with the fans, whereas I think the American owners that are coming in get it. Yeah. It's going to be more professional, mm. more slick, more polished. Maybe that's going to take something away from it, that rough edge yeah. and stuff and a little bit more raw, but the sport is now global. It's a global business. It's a diversified income stream. You can't be yeah. professional about it. You can't spend 99% of your payroll on the players, 1% on everything yeah. else and expect to do well, right? You I'm only scratching the surface as well. We're only scratching the surface because if you compare English Premier League teams to the Dallas Cowboys, oh. the New York Yankees, we're a million miles away from all those franchises yeah. out there. So. I, 
I agree completely. You know, it's interesting that you've seen, you know, the Ryan Reynolds thing at Wrexham, right? Yeah. They're going to be everyone's favourite second team, right? We're all going to watch the Wrexham results and watch the little... What a great idea. You go to the States, entertainment people are in sport all over the place. LAFC has Jay-Z as a part owner, Will Ferrell, all of the... Dwayne The Rock. Yeah. Yeah. All of the sports franchises in the States have entertainment guys involved because the financial side and the business is about entertainment, right? Football's been sort of a little bit isolated from that, but it's coming. Beckham into Miami with all his celebrity friends around him gets it, right? And he's been brilliant at it, but it's going to come, right? I think you're going to see a range of different owners coming in and you're going to love it, Paul, right? And I'm going to take you those. You'll come as an honorary gooner right at the games. We'll get you converted, right? Uh, The... You know, you'll see how other people approach the business of entertaining through sport. You can still win. Yeah. Will the pure fans want it? It's like it'll be like cricket and twenty twenty cricket, right? Mm. You know, people need to be entertained, right? I'm not sure about VAR, but at the end of the day, you can't argue with the fact it's right. Okay, if someone's offside, they're offside. Should they do it in twenty seconds flat and not five minutes? Yeah. It came out much quicker. No one had even noticed. All the, you know, my opinion. All the arguments about is it right, is it wrong? It's right. Yeah. The rules, the rules. You're offside. You're offside. You know. But and if you're not offside, you're not offside. But tell me in twenty seconds. The text good. You should better do it miles far. Yeah. Right. Do you know what it is? I think, I think, I think, I think in terms of football becoming big business, and I always ask this question to people: football, a business or a sport? And I think it's the thing whereby, as long as the teams that we support are winning and performing. Anything else that happens behind the scenes, I'm okay with. I think fans need to, and I think they are wake up to the fact that gone to the days whereby an owner would just come in, like in back in the Roman days and just chuck money at a problem and just see what sticks. I think fans are realising that clubs have to be sustainable and as long as clubs win and you want to do all the brand partnerships, the sponsorship, the Jordan collaborations, the esports, the innovation... As long as that money is getting reinvested, I don't think fans have a problem. So, so yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think most people understand that you've got to have a sustainable business, right? What you don't want to see is your club gets relegated and the owner rips out 200 million quid. Okay? That will upset me. Mm. Right? Yeah. What you don't mind is if Liverpool make a load of money and they win the league. They win the league, they make a load of money, knock yourselves out, guys. It's great. (laughs) But what you don't is yeah. like the Man U thing, which you can feel Man United fans, where the club's slipping away, but the club's still making very big profits. But actually, Man U is not yeah. now making very big profits. It's making quite big losses. Yeah. It's under pressure, like every big club is, right? Barcelona's losing yeah. a load of money. Every big Italian club's lost money because the TV, the match day revenue has hit them hard, right? Mm. And that's the challenge is if the big clubs are losing money, are they going to still make big transfer deals? If they don't make big transfer deals, the money doesn't circulate around the system for the mid-sized transfer deals for the guys to buy the, the smaller players. Will there, will there be another deal? You know, I've, I've been shocked to see Jadon Sancho going to grow his career in Germany. Or Jude mm. Bellingham, probably the best young player in Britain ever, maybe ever, uh, going to Germany. I never thought I'd see that, right? Is that say something about the way we're running football now? And we don't give these young kids a chance, right? 
these are England internationals. Yeah, yeah. They're not young kids. They're <laughs> big brands, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And yet they're going to Germany to further their career. I remember when I, you know, going to Italy when you're in your prime to cash in or Real Madrid. I get yeah, it, yeah. Gareth Bale. Good luck, knock yourself out. But not at 17. Right, <laughs> you know, and that's you look at the way football is now. I think big conversations are going to have to be had because you're looking at the uh, the effects of Brexit on young players coming in. Does the multi city sort of approach that that a team like Man City have is that going to work and fit in with that from an academy perspective? Is financial regulation and salary caps and all these different things coming in going to really affect owners wanting to buy football clubs? And I think now is a big time to just really. Look at all that's going on and almost just press reset and go back to the values of why the Premier League was created. And that was a large part of it was the success of the England team. And how can we just really improve the game for the better, really? Yeah, yeah. It was, see, it was one of the interesting things about the Chinese when they bought into clubs, right? The principle behind yeah. it was the government of China wanted to become good at football. They see it as the world's game. Yeah. They decided we want to compete, right? Now, who's got the best IP in football? Oh, yeah, it's clubs in Europe. Okay, let's start buying into some so we can learn from it. The Chinese really respect their teachers. That's why when you see the managers that went out to China, the, the managers were on even bigger deals than the players. Okay? Mm. Sven, Scolari, Anders Villas-Boris, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Yeah. Lippi, they all went out there. The Chinese have 1.x billion people live there. Right? Their domestic club football was ridden with scandal. There's not many good young players. They thought if they bring in experienced, world-class players, they would learn from them. What happened, unfortunately, mm. is people like Tevez went there, was earning three times more than the rest of the squad combined. Right? <laughs> and not yeah. showing up for work or something. you know. And it just upset everybody. It just destabilises the yeah. changing rooms. right? And then they were hoping it would permeate into their national team. So the national team would get better. Mm. They'd get into the World Cup. They would play against European teams or the Americans. Sport is political, right? In a lot of countries, sport is very yeah. political. But what happened is their national teams got worse, right? They drew yeah. with Afghanistan, who didn't have 11 adults, right? You know, they lost to yeah. Syria. You know, there were countries that yeah. without a single football pitch that were beating them, right? Yeah. For an immense amount of money at it. And then the government turned around and said, we're doing this the wrong way. We're going to withdraw from owning a football. And that's what's happened. It's not to do with the individual people. China's a, a different form of democracy. Let's just put it like that. And when the government says we don't want to be in it anymore, the, the, the big guys listen. Right? And so they're retrenching and they're going to change their policy. They put football on the school curricula. You know, in 10, 15 years' time, they will have a competitive team. Really competitive. Yeah. You know, when you look at the effect it had for Son in Korea, and remember there, there was Park at Man United. Mm, yeah, like the, player, cha yeah. the champions, right? Pacquiao, what the effect it had on the Philippines, right? Amazing. Mm. And I'm sure, you know, you, there's about 20 other examples you can think of at the top of your head, right? Asia and sport also has a very particular thing because of gambling. The Asians like to bet on sport results, Okay. Yeah. Chinese are a nation of gamblers, Macau. And it's quite interesting that Premier League are now saying that they're going to ban gambling advertising on football shirts because the effect it has on young kids and causing more people to gamble. That's going to be a yeah. big loss.
for a number of football clubs. You can think how many football shirts you take on, yeah. with Fun ATA or Bet365 or Bet118 or whatever that something will have to yeah. go next season. Is there enough, you know, so this is another reason why the current owners are getting a little bit nervous. Mm. And I'm sorry if I'm certain bringing the argument back to where we were starting at the beginning about how we look at things. But a lot of the questions you're asking and the thing, points we're talking about are actually all connected. Right? They are, yeah. It's really interesting. You know, what is the economic value to a club when a, they develop a young player? When you look at, like, the great Arsenal team, you know, when the Invincibles, the value to the club, most of them were, were you know, were bought in, but were locals, right? Developed mm. as a team, right? And no question, if you can get the academy model right, that's the best way to go, right? I agree, yeah. The challenge is getting a balance. It's very hard to stay in the Premier League with a yeah. team of 19 or 20-year-olds. Not even win the Premier League, but just to stay in there, right? But I argue mm. that football's become a speed game now. Premier League is almost non-contact. Even the slow players, when you see them live, are fast, right? Except for <laughs> you, Paul, right? They'll they catch you one day. But it's true. They look slow yeah. on TV, but when you see them live, they're still quick, right? Mm. You know? And, you know, the days where you've got to have six foot four, six foot six guys, it's just ticker tacker football everywhere, right? And mm. that's the phase we're in at the moment the high press, the press, the man marking. Every attacker's a defender, every defender's an attacker. But there's nothing new about that. Ajax did that in the 90s. Yeah. The Dutch did total football then, right? Mm. It's not new. It's just football goes in phases. The rules are now much more, I think, in favour of the attackers than the defenders because we want to see more goals, right? Mm. It's rare you see a great nil-nil. Want to be entertained. Want to be yeah. entertained, right? You know, yeah. my, my guess is the next rule that will go will be the offside rule. I'll just get rid of it. Yeah. You reckon the offside rule? Why not? Right? Do you know what it is? I think, I think to, to be fair, I think I'm inclined to agree with you because I think before VAR, I think football fans enjoyed the whole debate of, oh, was it offside, yeah. was it not offside? But now VAR's coming, you've lost that. And it's a case now whereby you've got armpit offside, toenails <laughs> offside, shirt sleeves offside. My hair offside, <laughs> right? You know. <laughs> You're right. So, honestly, who knows? Who knows? Because if, if you told me five, seven years ago that, I don't know, like, you'd have, like, a video referee and he'd be the one making decisions, I would have said, hang on a minute, what's going on? Soon we might have flipping robots on the pitch doing it for us instead. We'll have holograms, mate. It'll be done by an algo, right? And, in fact, we'll be yeah. able to anticipate when people are going to be offside, right? Yeah. Americans are fascinated by the stats of all this. I'm not. I just want to yeah, be entertained, yeah. right? And being entertained... When I, there used to be great nil-nil draws. And actually, to be honest, unless it's my team winning 5-0, I don't like watching a slaughter. I don't find it entertaining. Yeah. I, I actually yeah. like... Football's great when it's close, right? And everything's hanging on. Yeah. It's getting the last minute and you've got overtime. We love the tension of it, right? Mm. Unless you're emotionally involved, you don't want to see a 5-0 or a 4-0, right? Yeah. Unless you're playing fantasy football. Yeah, then. unless you play fantasy. Well, that's right, you're emotionally involved. But, yeah, yeah. but otherwise you want it close. And it used to be great nil-nil draws, right? And teams holding on and defence of the Alamo. And now we want more goals. And do you know why? Because American sport doesn't have draws. American sport is high scoring, 
right? Basketball is high scoring. Yeah, NFL is high scoring. You know, baseball is all about statistics. You know, you just watch it. I, I've only been a couple of times, but I seem to miss every shot, right? Because I was looking the other way. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it's a great yeah. scene. Baseball is about going there, isn't it? It's about having a, it's a party yeah. out. It's like cricket. You don't really go to watch cricket. You go to meet your mates at the cricket and be part of a good time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but Americans like high scoring sports, right? And that's yeah. why I see the Amer- there is a bit of the Americanization of football. And it's mm. coming in in a, a covert kind of way that we all want to be more entertained in an American style way. And I'm actually for that. I enjoy it, right? I love good goals. I love the fact that conversion ratio yeah. this year has been so high. Chances to goals have been amazing. Finishing's been incredible. Um, you know, even Liverpool are letting in loads of goals. Right. Yeah. Right. But you know, is I think I think going back Americanization of sport or, or football in general, I think I don't know. Do you know? I, I think it's a thing whereby uh, we've seen I don't know like good American owners coming, we've seen bad yeah. American owners coming, or however you want to judge them. And I think that that's almost technically people people's view of of their presence within football. But I do I am it's sort of excited by the whole idea of I don't believe where maximizing football enough so for example an event like the champions league that should be a global entertainment event like the super bowl and we're not even doing anything to really entice people or to make that even bigger that that should be the biggest event on earth like the two biggest teams in europe coming together so so i, I am for stuff like that coming in but in terms of wild scale americanization i'm not quite sure why did we like the champions league it's the best players in world football, the best clubs in world football, the best managers in club football, all competing with each other. I love the thrill of the away goals and teams having to really dig deep to get to get a result and come back from 3-0 down on away goals and, and, and the sort of entertainment and the tension that's involved, really. Yeah, I think there's also there's the clash of styles. You like seeing a great Spanish team playing, in, playing an English yeah. team or Bayern Munich against a French team. You know what I mean? There's a clash of the way yeah, play yeah. the management. And the play, it's great, right? And it is yeah. a very tough league to win, Champions League. It's the toughest thing, right? But if you look at it logically, the thing I love about the Premier League is every game is tough. There's no easy games mm. in the Premier League. Yeah. You go to Spain or yeah. Italy or Germany, they probably have four or five hard games a year, right? I think the quality is improved in those leagues. It is. It is. Barcelona, Barcelona, where Barcelona, you can't even see Barcelona in the table. No, I agree. I agree. But they're messy on holiday, isn't it, at the moment? Or working or whatever the road is. But, you you know, point taken, but historically, they've had very, very few hard games first season. Yeah. The Europa League is harder to position why why it happens, right? There's lots of games in very strange places for the English team. Injury yeah. potentials higher, downtimes lower for the big players. Uh, it's a tricky one, right? Mm. But when you look at should there be a European league and where's it all going, of course we want to see the best playing the best. I personally am yeah. totally anti-football fair play. I think we should just bin it. It's a joke. Just move on. If, mm. if Man City want to buy Messi, brilliant. I want to see him play. right? As a fan, I want yeah. to see the great players play here, right? Well, I don't care if other owners can't afford it. It's their problem, right? Find the best yeah. players in the world. I want to see them, right? 
You know, and, I, and I'll pay money to go and see great players. I don't care where they're playing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you do. You'd love it, right? Yeah. It's just the thing, right? And worrying about whether, what, you know, would it be fair to the smaller clubs? You know, this is a business, right? Sell yeah. shirts. Messi will sell shirts. Ronaldo will sell shirts, right? Did he change yeah. Italian football, Ronaldo? I think so. I think the perception yeah. of it went up. I think uh, it was a calculated business decision. And he's still playing great. And he's still... It's like Meribeth will pay to see him win and they'll pay to see him get knocked out, right? And he's just too good, yeah. right? <laughs> he's just too good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's sport. We want to cheer, we want to boo, right? We want to love, we want to mm. hate. You can't, you know, you don't want to feel neutral about it, right? Mm. You just want to be in it. And I think the crowd, the yeah. role of the crowd is very important in that. And I think that's why a lot of players found it hard to adjust to no people in the stadium. Very yeah. Especially Arsenal. Yeah, that's our excuse, right? Highbury <laughs> was not a library, right? Uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't library. But, um, but do you know what it is? I think, I think that's a nice sort of way to wrap it up because I think we've had a very, very great discussion and we always like to end it with the what the footy question, which is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space. We've sort of alluded to quite a few yeah. things, but... One thing I'd change... I'll leave the floor to you. I'd, I'd change... I'll get yeah, one football thing. fair play. Just get rid of it. Kick it out. Yeah. Change that one thing. Let the rich get richer. Let's see the best players in the world play against the best yeah. players in the world. Let's bring it on, right? That's what I would change. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, don't, I can't even talk about Arsenal at this moment. Holy. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to end it in terms of fair play. Obviously, I think fair play has it worked. Not really... Um, and I don't know. I don't know what my thoughts are fully on the European Super League. I'm, I'm a bit of a football romantic. I'm quite nostalgic. And I, I like the idea of being able to go and watch Arsenal play Crystal Palace and, and teams like that. Yeah. I personally, so I personally think yeah. the European leagues, the whole idea of the breakaway teams and breakaway leagues is over. It's dead. Okay. Yeah. The reason I'll tell you this just very quickly to wrap it up is if you're selling a piece of Serie A. You're selling a piece of the Bundesliga. You're selling a piece of the Spanish leagues. How are you ever going to build a European league once you've already sold pieces of them? You've got to give them back. So yeah. I think they've already said a big, sent a big subliminal message that though that 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 concern is not there for now, not there in the short, medium term. And I agree with you. I love going to watch the English games. I, I'm proud of it. I enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, you know, may the best team win as long as it's yours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's brilliant, Laurie. Thank you for coming to the podcast today. Laurie Pinto, football financier, deal maker, broker, the man who helps owners to buy and sell football clubs. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, my Thank man. You, man. Great, great, great stuff. Great stuff. Enjoyed it. Guys, what an episode. What a character Laurie is. And for me, in terms of what I wanted to create when I first set up the podcast back in February. To where I am now with it all. I think this, if those, if I was to pick an episode that encompasses everything that I've been trying to do, I think it's this episode, guys. I think the themes, um, all the things that we discuss on the Americanization of English football to economic value to profit maximization, just really linking in all that business jargon with football and really educating fans about what the footy happens behind the scenes in football guys thank you so much so much for all the love and support 
this year. I appreciate it so much. Guys, please continue to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show to rank higher. Guys, you take care of yourselves. Have a lovely Christmas. Peace and love. And I'm going to see you guys really soon. It's the last episode. It's season three of the What The Footy Podcast. Bow, bow, bow. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the I right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. As a parent, no two days are ever the same. At Care.com, you can find trusted and flexible sitters to help manage your family's ever-changing schedule. Care.com can even help you out with housekeepers, dog walkers, senior caregivers, and more. So you can find care for all you love. And 100% of caregivers who use Care.com have been background checked with CareCheck, a key first step in hiring confidently. To get the help you need to make it all work, sign up now and find a great sitter at Care.com. Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just 2 bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company.